0: Hi, how are you today? I... Look very, you look very sunny in your pretty yellow sweater. It feels <laughs> the opposite of what's happening outside, which is like torrential downpour and gray skies, which I love personally. But...
1: <laughs> I like it too, but I, um, I love a paper thin sweater and I happened to find this one and it's from the Gulf, one of my favorite restaurants and oh, it was same. 75% off. So it was like a trifecta of happiness. I love the so gold. I had to wear it today. Me I too. Been, Isn't that great?
0: I know I haven't been there in a long time, and I was just thinking. I was like, hmm, we should take a trip out that side of to that side part of the beach, your side of the beach, which is a side that I don't go down very often. I typically stick more east.
1: Yeah, I don't go to the east side very much anymore either. It's yeah. usually if I'm going to the east side beach, it's with my friends, like mm-hmm. girlfriends, family stuff. We're almost always on the west side beaches.
0: That's funny. I was actually just thinking Sam and I's anniversary is coming up. Um, And like for the last couple of years, we haven't really done much, but we usually make a day trip to Alice Beach or like over on Santa Rosa Beach area. And we do like some Christmas shopping and they always have like, it's very Christmassy, Christmas party. So like usually the weekend before or after our anniversary, we'll do like a day trip over there and eat lunch and dinner and just like go into cute little shops and finish Christmas shopping. So just thinking, when should I do that?
1: <laughs> well, that sounds really fun.
0: It is. It's I
1: cute. wish I did that on my anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Ford, are you listening? <laughs> yeah. We're not, we're pretty notorious not doers on our anniversary either. We did go out to dinner this year. That felt like a win. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Where'd cool. y'all go? Because that was Angelina's. recent, wasn't it? Yes, it was a Tuesday. So we went to Angelina's and I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to be so pumped because every time I go to Angelina's on a Tuesday for pizza and wine night, he's always like, oh, how come you got to go to there and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, here's my plan. And I made a reservation and then we were like, oh, let's just sit at the bar. And then he was like, pizza and wine. I don't even want to do that. Like I want to eat all the food. So it totally kind of derailed my whole plan. We ended up getting like five appetizers, a salad, a pizza, cheesecake. I was like, okay. Or this This is good too.
0: I really like like an appetizer buffet though. So I, I think, do too. <laughs> I think you made the right too. choice. Like that is what I would want to do too. I'd feel very, yeah. sometimes I sit down at a restaurant and I feel very limited by just like ordering one meal. I'd rather have like three bites of like six meals. So like yes. an appetizer buffet is the way to go.
1: And we're sharers. We we don't really yeah. ever order our own food. So yeah, usually by the time we get through our appetizers, we don't really want an entree anymore anyway. Yeah. So that's what we did. And it was great. We sat at the bar. It was loud and crowded and all our favorite things. And it was really fun. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: that's cool. Yeah. Well, now that we've bored everybody with our restaurant tales, <laughs> um, I want to introduce... A really wonderful woman by the name of Jacqueline Baird. She is the host and founder of the Motherhood Intended podcast and community. And it's funny, I actually met Jacqueline years ago. Um, so, my first, like, you know, grown up job after college moved me to Chicago, and my roommate was really good friends with Jacqueline. So, I met her through like an odd twist of affairs, and I've just watched her from afar um, ever since I moved back to Pensacola. So once I moved back to Pensacola 10 years ago, I've just, you know, been a long distance friend, I guess. Admirer is a better word. Um, and her story is just harrowing. I don't know another way to put it. After years of infertility, miscarriage, IVF, and stillbirth, she has now embarked on a surrogacy journey to complete her family. And that's really, really exciting and going very well so far. So, Anyway, her her story is moving, relatable, all the things that you could ever imagine. Um, And earlier this year, she started the Motherhood Intended podcast in hopes of sharing stories and insights of other people in their journey to and through motherhood. So we're really excited to have her on today. Um, Anything you want to add, Erin? No, I think you you covered it. Let's (laughs) get into it. (laughs) All right. Y'all enjoy. Well, Jacqueline, we're so excited to have you on the Protected Space podcast. Um, I feel like life comes in full circle in so many different ways. And like, we have so many mutual friends. And it's just been really cool to watch your whole journey unfold with motherhood and in- intended. So
2: <laughs> thanks so much for having me. You're so right. I mean, I can't believe like... Oh my gosh. I don't even know how many years ago now, but we were, yeah, we met through, you know, mutual friends in college and, and yeah, full circle is a good way to explain it. Cause I've been loving watching, um, everything blossom for you guys in the fertility resort and protected space. So I'm super excited to be here.
0: Hey, awesome. Um, well, anyway, I don't know. We wanted to kind of get right into it if you're okay with that. Yeah, uh, let's do it. Love for you to share just like a thousand foot view of your IVF journey, your, surrogacy journey, pretty much everything that has to do with you. We would love to hear that.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, I will do my best to kind of condense everything a little bit because I've tried to get better at telling, you know, my fertility journey and everything. And I'm like, two hours later, we're still here because of just all the different, <laughs> all the different aspects. But I totally uh, <laughs> to know. I have
1: to learn how to consolidate trauma, something. right? It's the iceberg. I thing. know. Most yeah, of it. Yeah, it really is. You can only tell that little that little snippet of it, but it's like, but that doesn't give you a real accurate representation of it, but.
2: Yeah. Right. Exactly. And as you both know, there's just so many layers, but um, yeah, I guess I'll start from the beginning and that, you know, like everyone, I just, my husband and I got married, I was 25 and I figured, all right, we'll just wait a year, you know, enjoy our marriage. Then we'll start trying to have a family. And, um, you know, I had gone off birth control six months before we got married um, I think it was, if I remember right, it was literally just because of like insurance purposes, <laughs> like we were switching and I was like, well, we're getting married anyway. I was going to go off of it. So we'll just do it a little bit early. Um, and then we tried for six months to try and get pregnant and still no luck. So I remember my doctor saying, you know, try for a year. They love to tell you try for a year and then, you know, come back if you're still not pregnant. And I was like, okay. I, and I hear you, but I don't know. I think something's off. So ended up going back six months later oh. and,
1: so um, so young to be not conceiving quickly.
2: Yeah. Well, that was the other thing. And I just like knew, I don't know why, but in my gut, I just had a feeling. I mean, I had, you know, in some, from the moment I had got a period, I had like really heavy periods and just like, I just always felt like something was, and I had had to have a few leap procedures and I was just like, I don't know. I think something's off. Um, and I'm glad I did like kind of follow my gut because we ended up going to see a fertility doctor just to do all the initial testing, right. To make sure everything was looking okay. And that's when we figured out that um, one of my fallopian tubes was blocked. Um, I had polyps and, and things. So we had to, you know, have a procedure to remove that. And then my thyroid levels were a little bit off too. Not so much like crazy for like regular life, but for trying to conceive purposes, they wanted it in a different level so started medications and then yeah tried again for another 6 months after that and everything with my husband checked out so um and still still no luck and that's when our fertility doctor was like okay um I think we should move on to IUI with clomid and I only knew a little bit about IUIs at this point because actually, um, my mom, so my mom had me and my sister and then struggled to get pregnant again. She had secondary infertility and, um, ended up doing an IUI to have my brothers who are twins. Um, so I, I knew exactly, I knew what it was. And, you know, my mom's like, Oh, it's no big deal. You like take this pill, Clomid, and then you just, you know, go to the office and it's fine. Um, and the doctor said, you know, you'll have, if it's going to work, it'll work within three or four tries. So I'm like, okay, perfect. First try didn't work. Second try didn't work. Third try didn't work. And then I was, and we did these, I mean, I didn't know a lot at this point, you know, I didn't know big picture stuff or looking at the whole, everything as a whole, you know, my health, my well being. I was just like laser focused doing what the doctor said. Um, so we did these cycles back to back to back. Um, I just remember my body, like, I was like crawling out of my skin. I hated everything about the Clomid medication. It just, it just really messed with me like physically and mentally. And, um, so we tried again the fourth time and, um, the fourth time worked, I got pregnant. Um, I remember getting the call and, you know, they gave us our HCG numbers and obviously I didn't really have anything to compare it to, but I knew like with a quick Google search that it was like very high, like my initial number, Um, so then we ended up, you know, going for our ultrasound to confirm pregnancy and, um, and we were pregnant with twins. And so we were like, you know, ecstatic. I mean, I I wasn't that scared again. My mom had twins. I, I mean, from my seven-year-old point of view and growing up with my brothers, everything seemed fine. I wasn't scared, but, um, yeah, I just, we were just blissfully like ignorant and, and excited. And, um, we were like, okay, it was all worth it. All these fertility treatments, all these things, you know, now we're having two babies. That's so great. Um, and for the first trimester, everything was fine. I mean, again, I didn't have anything to compare it to, but I felt great. Um, and it wasn't until 14 weeks that I, um, like out of nowhere, I started, started having a little spotting. And then, um, I remember like later that evening, I, like went to go to the bathroom and I just I started bleeding. I had a lot of heavy bleeding um, to the point where like I, and I didn't know what was going on. I just know like this isn't good. Like from before you're pregnant and experience a lot of different things, you know. I just knew from honestly like TV. People weren't talking about miscarriages or anything like that. I was just like, okay, I know that it's when you go for your ultrasound, like you don't want to hear the words like there's no heartbeat. Like you hear that a lot, but my mind did not. I did not realize that you know you could deliver a baby premature like that. And, um, and that's what it ended up happening. I didn't realize it at the time, but um, you know we went on to learn that my sir, I have incompetent cervix and like, to the point, like my cervix just will not hold a pregnancy at all.
1: Um, so did so, you lose both of them at the same time? So at
2: that point, at that point, I didn't know what was going on. So obviously I went, um, the bleeding was so bad. I just, my husband called an ambulance and we went to the, um, the closest ER, which wasn't our hospital, but went to the ER and, you know, they're doing an ultrasound. Um, and the doctor, the nurse says or whoever came in to do the ultrasound. And then she's like, okay, the doctor will be in to see you soon. And the first thing the doctor said was, you said you're pregnant with twins. And I was like, yeah, there's two, like we're pregnant with twins. I'm 14 weeks. Um, and she's like, I'm so sorry. Like, we only see one baby. We only see one heartbeat in there. And so I was like, at that point, I was just, you know, I didn't, I could not wrap my head around like what happened because I didn't see anything. You know, I was just like bleeding a lot. I didn't, there was nothing like distinctive of like delivering a baby. Um. So, and, and that whole experience in the ER was just very um, like, it was, it was for what happened to me, like in hindsight and just everything we experienced that night, it was just so like quick and nonchalant. They're like, okay, well, we just I'm so sorry. Like we need you to follow up with your OB tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. Um, it was just like traumatizing that, at that point.
0: <laughs> I think that is the experience of 99% of women who go to the ER because of miscare because they're miscarrying. Yeah. I hear that from every person I talk to that it's, I mean, my experience in the ER with my third miscarriage was horrific.
2: Yeah. And I, and I agree. It was just very cold and very like transactional. And then they're like, okay, on your way. And I'm like, okay. So I went to, you know, my OB the next day just for her to, you know, confirm the same thing. She had a a lot more emotion, of course, and was a lot more caring. And, um, but there still wasn't a lot of like so what's next? Like it was just they basically put me
1: on like a modified bed rest situation. And he was there and there was a heartbeat, and like that twin looked okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So they were like, this baby's heartbeat is fine. Like everything's checking out that we can see. The only the biggest concern was um obviously it, oh, that was the other thing on the ultrasound. They didn't see like any um like remnants of any like tissue or anything that like could disrupt my pregnancy at that point. Um, so they, they seemed hopeful and they were just like, we need you to take it easy. And we're just going to monitor you really closely. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, and I felt fine until two weeks later I had spotting again. And then um, this time I was at my own hospital and I had, they hooked me up cause I, I was having a little bit of like very light cramping. And so I went into the hospital and they were like, hooked me up to the belt to try and see if they can, you know, register any contractions. But at this point, you know, I'm, I'm 16 weeks. It's my first pregnancy. I'm still very small. Like they weren't really getting a good reading, but ultrasound looked fine. Baby's heartbeat was fine. Um, everything was me was looking fine. So I spent like the entire day, um, in the hospital. And at this point I didn't realize it, but I was in triage. You have to be like 20 weeks or further along to be in like, um, labor and delivery or anything like that. So it was like super uncomfortable and just, you know, it's just different when you're just like in a triage room all day. So, um, eventually, you know, my doctor was like, nothing has changed. Um, it's up to you. Like, would you rather go home or do you want to be here and be monitored? Like, there's nothing else we can do we're just kind of like waiting and just kind of seeing how you feel and at this point I felt fine I didn't feel anything and I was um honestly just like itching to get out of the hospital so I was like if you feel comfortable with me going home and you would you're okay with that like I'll just go home if nothing's changing so I went home and, um my mom came with me my husband was there of course and I just remember we were like watching a movie I was just trying to stay distracted because it just felt all very overwhelming of course so um you know during the movie as we're watching it this is later that night i like started to feel like cramping again and of course i've never had i mean i used to have terrible periods so these like the cramping that i was feeling wasn't even remotely close to like what i would experience in like my periods and but knowing now i mean they were contractions i mean they were every 20 30 minutes and but not painful to the point where like like i went to bed later that night and comfortably too. I was like asleep. Um I, it was nothing that kept me up. And I just remember in the middle of the night, you know, I it was almost like my body was on autopilot. I like sprung out of bed. Like it was almost just I knew something was wrong. And so I just like ran to the bathroom like by our by our bedroom. And within everything was like a snapshot of how quickly it happened. Like I woke up, I was in the bathroom and then I had I like I just delivered our baby like in the bathroom. Um you know she was 16 weeks and I'm just like frozen, of course. Um, I don't know if this is a blessing or not, but you know, I typically wear contacts and glasses and this is the middle of the night. So I was like, everything was kind of blurry anyway, because I don't have a lot of like memory of like the details of that experience. But it was like, then the next snapshot was, I was just like screaming and my husband called an ambulance. And then like, um, it was the same paramedics that were there two weeks prior showed up. Um, and I mean, it was just, it was, to this day, like one of just still my most like traumatic experience because, you know, I just didn't understand even anything at that point of like delivery or what that looks like. Um, and you know, the paramedics had to cut the cord and like load me up into the, I was, I was not doing well. I was like losing a lot of blood and I was just not great. So, you know, they rushed me to the hospital and, um, I remember when we got there, I was like getting sick and it was just my whole body. was like in shock, I think. Um, And, you know, of course it was immediate. I mean, I know my daughter is way too early to survive outside of me. So it was just, you know, at that point I was just like a shell of myself and, you know, they're taking care of me. And eventually when I think that I was like stable and everything, we got moved to labor and delivery. And this was at actually my doctor, my hospital where I was supposed to deliver because my husband was so adamant because of what we experienced in the other ER and like those doctors, we were just like no, like it's five minutes further away. Like just take her to that hospital. That's where everyone is. And I'm so glad that he pushed for that because we really did have like the best care at that hospital. And, you know, all of my kids have been born there and I was born there. It's just like, we have a lot of ties to them and I was taken really good care of. Um, so once everything I feel- calmed down, yeah, it was, yeah. I
1: feel like I have to speak up though on the behalf of emergency rooms everywhere. Yeah. Just to say- you know, the, the concept of an emergency room, like they have to be prepared for everything from an infectious disease to like a gunshot to a seizure. I mean, they have to know a little bit about a million different possibilities. So I think the emergency room role of a physician is to stabilize, right? Like to prevent death right? and to to make a decision, like a decisive action on what needs to happen, what is going on, et cetera, et cetera. I do think the nature of it is pretty cold. It's just because of that decisive. It's like, you're going to die. This is imminent or you're not go do something else. So you're intentionally cold. I just don't think they have that kind of training and they don't necessarily have that kind of time like to come in and like, let's take a deep breath and let's handhold and let's talk this. They just don't. And that's why they're like, you need to go follow up with X, Y, Z. So I just want, I don't think that anybody in the emergency room is intending to be unkind. That's just not their behavior platform. They're like, okay, everything's good here. Now go somewhere else and get what needs to happen next. So I just always try to speak to the benefit because especially when you're working with a specialist, you get used to a certain kind of, gentle informative um, relationship and then when you end up in the emergency this is really bizarre and very uncomfortable because you're so used to something different so yeah no that's a really really good point because harrowing experience right it doesn't diminish the trauma of it at all but I think in that role they're just they see so many things like again if a blood. one shot is right next to you, then they're like, okay, this is small potatoes compared to, you know, what's right. Right. So, but that's no, that's a-, a really good
2: point. And as like my journey continues and I started to meet with different doctors, you really start to learn that like everyone does have their specialty and, and everyone kind of stays in their lane, at least from what I experienced in a, in a good way, right? Like you're seeing specific people for specific help. And I I learned quickly after this loss, when we went back to my fertility doctor that I was like, he's not a therapist. Like he's here to, he specializes in like getting me pregnant. Like that's what, that's his job. That's what he cares for. So there was definitely a learning curve of like realizing like what everyone's purpose in the journey was. Um, Because yeah, after, after that experience, um, you know, we, I think it was six months, we took a pause and just kind of regrouped. And I don't even think I like grieved the loss of our twins at that point, because I just, like with miscarriage, I just didn't even feel like worthy of like, I just thought like, okay, well, I just got to go back to work and got to keep it going. Like I wasn't even that far along or this or that, you know, like I just didn't truly understand like the magnitude of like the trauma that I experienced or the loss itself. Um, I until
1: think a, you, think a younger person who has a miscarriage, you know, you're just you're youthful and inexperienced, and so it's yeah. easier to be like, "Wow, that was a bump in the road," but you know, we just keep moving. Yeah. Like the older someone gets, and the more miscarriages you have, the more each one becomes really like degrading.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, I I can see that. I've I that's how I felt, and I think too, like we were trying so hard to get pregnant that once we did, I was just like, okay, like. Well, at least we got pregnant. Like we check, we finished that part. We figured out that part or so we thought at the time. Um, and so you start to find like Everybody these like weird like, silver lining
1: and at least, you know, you can get pregnant and how exciting for you that you yeah. get
2: you're
1: you like, right. Okay. Those are, those are wins, but, but yeah, but yeah. yeah and they always know
2: say, I, I think-
1: <laughs> it's normal, it can happen. Don't worry about it the mm-hmm. next time. And again, when you're a young, thing, right. it's more likely to be true.
2: Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that, at that point, I mean, we were just, okay. Like we would pause for six months more. So just because I, not even so much like the grief and processing that. Cause again, we weren't, I feel like I was just kind of moving on at that point, but all the Clomen, those four, I mean, I was just happy to like take a beat from just doing all the fertility meds and everything. Um, and so six months later, we did go back to our same fertility doctor. And it was at this point that like he kind of rubbed me the wrong way when we came back. And again, now I know like in hindsight, he was literally just doing his job. I think I just like needed more at that moment. Like he was like, okay, let's, let's get you pregnant. Like when we came back and I was like, but like, do you have any insight as to what just happened? Like kind of thing. Um, because no one really had answers at this point. You know, my, even MFM was like, you know, we, cause we did testing afterwards and you know, nothing genetically came up and, um, they were just like, well, it, it was twins. So that's a high risk pregnancy and things happen. And so we weren't really given any answers. And I, I don't know what I expected from my fertility doctor, but he was just like ready to try and get us pregnant again. So, you know, he suggested IVF right away. And we were like, well, we got pregnant with an IUI last time. And so it's less invasive, you know, it's cheaper, all these things came into play. And so we ended up doing three more IUIs and, um, back to back with Clomid again and no luck. And it was at that point, then we like, okay, if we're going to do IVF, I want a second opinion. And, um, and I don't know why it's so funny in hindsight, like at this point, like IVF seems so minimal to me. Like, it's not, not that it's not a big deal because it absolutely is, but like, it's not as scary as it seemed before I did it. Like I was like, Oh, this is like the end all be all. like, I can't do it on my own. Like I have to have IVF. That's it. Like it felt like, like a weird, like death sentence, but like so grateful for modern technology, like at this point and, and grateful that that worked out for us. Um, But we switched clinics and actually we switched to a doctor that I came across on a podcast. Um, And this was, yeah, back in, I like just started listening to podcasts back in twenty. 20- I think it was like 2015 at this point, uh, 2016. And, um, it was, uh, actually, I think it's still a podcast. It's called be infertility, but it was so helpful. And like learning all the different aspects of infertility and, and it made IVF less scary for me, the more I heard people talk about it because people weren't really talking about it. Um, and, So one of the reoccurring doctors on this podcast was someone that actually was local to me, which was really lucky. And so I went to see her get a second opinion. And the first thing she said was, you guys have been through enough. Like you have been through enough. We're going to figure this out. And, and she was actually kind of appalled that I did so many IUIs and Clomid rounds. She was like, she's like, this is just my opinion, but I would not have had you do that. Um, That's a lot on your body. And it's what it wasn't probably going to work out for you that way. Um, so we just felt confident in moving forward at that point. And so we stuck with her as our doctor and, um, IVF went really well. I mean, we did at this point, so I'm 25, 25, like 29 at this point when we did our IVF round. Um, and we got, ended up getting eight embryos. They were all like grade AA, which I didn't know as much at the time. I was like, Oh, great. Like we got, they're all A's. Like that's awesome. But there's so much more to embryos that I know now. Um, mm-hmm. Cause we didn't do any kind of genetic testing at the time. Um, just because like our doctor was like, well, you're young, you guys don't have a history of anything. Like, and at the time it just felt like such a, another added expense, you know, because IVF felt so overwhelming and now going into surrogacy it feels like, you know, not, not as big of an undertaking, but um yeah, we were happy and we did a fresh transfer the first time. And, um, that was my son Hunter, who's going to be five and a half. So, um, we were happy that that worked out the first time, but that was the first point where we realized, okay, great. We got pregnant, but I had a hard time staying pregnant at this point. Um, I started having spotting with him at 17 weeks and had to have a rescue, um, transvaginal cerclage placed. Um, which started to maybe explain like, okay, so with the twins, like my cervix was an issue and that's not something that's regularly checked, obviously, especially that, that early in a pregnancy. So um, they did the rescue circlage, and then did you have to go on bed rest when they did that circlage, or did they give you any? No, res- they, no I, I was at that, at that point, they were so confident in the circlage, They were like, you can like just go about, I mean, I think maybe I couldn't work out or something like that, but I was going about my day. I was not on any kind of bread rest or any crazy restrictions with that. Um, but yeah, I, I and I felt fine. I didn't have any more spotting. Everything seemed fine. And then at oh, I think it was at 23 weeks ish. Um, I went in for like a routine, just my OB appointment, and I was really happy that the stars aligned. And it was like the head of the practice that I saw that because there was like six different OBs at my office, and you'll see them all throughout your pregnancy and she was like the head one and she was at that appointment. And she's like, you know, it's not routine to do like a, not all doctors would do a cervical check at this point, you know, but I'd feel more comfortable if I did it given that you have the cerclage and, and your history. And so she did, you know, a cervical exam and my husband was out of town for work. So my mom came with me to the appointment because all of a sudden every appointment becomes scary, right? After you have a miscarriage. Um, so I just remember she looked, she had like a terrified look on her face. And she looked at me and she goes, so where's, where's your husband right now? And I was like, oh, he's traveling. He's in Kansas for work. And she's like, okay. And she turns to my mom and she's like, mom, I'm going to need you to call him and have him come home right away. And then she looked at me and she's like, everything's going to be fine, but I am sending you over to the hospital and you're going to be there until you have this baby. And at 23 weeks, I was like, okay. Um, and I only knew like, viability was 24 because I was had all these like milestones in my own head as if I could change anything my body was going to do you know I was like okay gotta get to 17 weeks I was gonna say I,
1: I think viability used to be 28 is it now 24
0: 24 I'm pretty sure yeah
1: that's amazing I think
0: it's 24
1: yeah well and even then there's like babies being born at like
2: 23 and something like depending on what level NICU you're at um which we were really grateful that our hospital is a it was level three NICU which is really good um but yeah so we I just started bursting into tears obviously because I'm like how is this happening right now and you know I knew obviously viability but I'm like that there's a long way to go until like this is going to be a safe time to deliver so first thing they did is have um and yeah my mom's with me at this point had us talk to MFM and I had not seen there's three MFMs in my practice and there this was the doctor I have not met yet um And again, speaking of like providers and and what they specialize in and staying in their lane and all these things, he's there to drop some really hard facts. And, um, you know, he's seen it all. And it was stuff that was really hard to hear. And he was basically like leaving it up to me to like make a decision. He's like, well, there's a few things that we can do. Like we could go in and try and fix your surclage or put in another one or something of the sorts. But he said, but it's risky because we could like, puncture the amniotic sac and then you're gonna deliver regardless um and so for me that was out of the question because I'm like we can't I can't deliver right now it's not gonna work out so the other thing he said was or we just go to the hospital and we wait and see we'll put you on bed rest we'll do our best but we just we're gonna wait and see what happens and then the other one he didn't come out and say it but I think he was also just kind of giving me the option of like terminating my pregnancy and he was dropping some really like scary facts about, you know, there's only 50, at 24 weeks, there's only 50% chance of survival, you know, the risk of like things like cerebral palsy and, and all these like life altering things that could happen, um, which that's his job, obviously, to give me the statistics. But the one thing I didn't love is he was just like, you know, I just really think about it. You're young, you don't have any kids yet. You know, I've just, I've seen this rip family, rip people apart, like rip families apart, you know, people get divorced over. And I'm just like, and it was at that point I looked at my mom because I was just like a deer in headlights. Like, how in the world am I supposed to make any kind of decision? And my husband's not even here.
0: Also, like, you've had a lot of really, uh, really stressful last few hours. Like, that's a
2: lot. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't feel ready to make any sort of
1: Was he really decision. wanting a decision in that moment? Or was this like, let me tell you what's going on and then I'll come talk to you later and How did that feel? So to
2: to me, it felt like he was like waiting on me to like make a decision. Um, And because I remember I turned to my mom and finally she was like, well, can she just, can we just admit her to the hospital? And then when her husband gets here, we can talk about this further kind of thing. Um, Now, who knows, like in the moment, again, I was like in shock. So like what that really played out as like, I don't know, but it felt like he was like looking at me and my mom being like, okay, well, like, are we taking you over there to do X, Y, and Z? Or are we going to put you on bed rest? Like, what's the plan? um and it was honestly never brought up again i was put on bed rest and just you know my husband came and that was it i was on bed rest and i was going to wait and just try and go as far as i could um you know they gave me the steroids to help develop his lungs um in the event of delivery they i was on magnesium all the all the um things to like help in any way possible in that situation um and this came at bed rest it was like i was I had to lay flat. Like I couldn't even like sit up in the bed. It was like, I have to lay flat, not move. I couldn't get out of the bed to even go to the bathroom. Um, Now I, and I'm glad they didn't say anything and I'm sure they knew definitely better than I did, but I was like, all right, I got this. Like I am he going to post up for the next four months. Like I was mentally preparing myself to like live in the hospital I was like Amazon, a calendar to my, you know, I was crossing off days. I was like, I'm so positive. I was like positive vibes and like staying still was like all I had. So that's, I really just like dove into that. And, um, but I'm sure the doctors were like, oh man, we just, I hope we get her like another week or two. Like, I'm sure that's what, you know, they knew. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, eight days later I was on bed rest for eight days. Um, you know, and tmi but i like because i'm on bed rest and because i can't get out of the bed to like go to the bathroom or anything i ended up like being very (laughs) constipated because i hadn't gone to the bathroom in 18 in eight days like that so i just
1: was so uncomfortable isn't that some um, way like potentially damaging to the i I don't know i would feel like to let the bowel be so full would also be causing distress i would think so
2: yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I, and I think, I don't know if they gave me something to try and try and help that, or I don't remember it being top of mind. I just remember being uncomfortable. And like on that seventh day, I was like, Oh my gosh, I hope I can go to the bathroom. Like I'm so, and so finally they were like, you know what? Um, nothing has changed in these eight days. And this, I think maybe at that point they're like, okay, like, yeah, it's more important that you handle this situation. So it's not like more stress on your body. Um, cause they let me, they brought in like a, like a commode, like for like next to the bed. And they're like, you can, they'll help me up on that, like right next to it. And then we'll get you back in bed. Um, now at this point I was like, my husband, I remember it was like 6:30 in the morning and my husband was, you know, sleeping on the couch in my hospital room. And there was one nurse and she's like, okay, here's the call button. You know, if you need anything, but I'll give you some privacy. And I remember telling my husband, I was like, yeah, I'm going to need you to get out, like get out of the room because we have like zero I I know you've seen a lot, but like, this is where I draw the line. Can I just like have some privacy for a second? And, um, honestly, it was kind of, it was really good that he, and it it worked out that way because within like a minute of being up and I pushed the button because I felt a pressure. And at this point it was not a pressure. Like I'm uncomfortable and can't go to the bathroom. I was like, it felt so heavy and low. And, um, so I pushed the button, the nurse ran in and, she was like, Oh my gosh. She's, and she laid me down, bring the buzzer of like everyone to run in. And again, this is like another weird thing that was like such a blessing is it was right at like shift change in the hospital. So it was like six fifty eight. So there was like double the staff right out in the hall. They're all talking about like, you know, shift change and everything. And when she rang that, she like had me lay down and she said, Oh my gosh, you're delivering. And she had me push one time. And, and my son was born and um, like 40 people ran into the room and they had already, you know, they were ready for his delivery. We had been prepped with, you know, we had sign a bunch of papers of like resuscitating him. And this is what's going to happen. If he's not breathing, this is what, and then he's going to go straight to the NICU. Um, they had the bed there all ready to go. Um, and it was just like a whirlwind. So obviously my husband was out in the hall, like the alarm rings, everyone's running into my room, which it's not until years later that I'm like, We've started talking more about his experience of everything because it's it's been traumatic for him too in so many ways that just like people don't think about and I haven't thought about until, you know, it starts to impact him and, and um, you know, he, he just experienced trauma too. It's, it's just been different. So um, I remember they wrapped him. I didn't really see him at first, obviously, because they were working on him. And then they wrapped him in this like tin, like foil basically to keep him warm. And I remember the doctor like, asking my husband for a phone and like taking a picture of us with him. And I just remember thinking like, Oh my God, like take him away, make sure he's fine. But obviously at that point, they were comfortable enough with his, like he was stable enough to do that before going to the NICU. And, um, looking back, I'm really glad that we have that photo because it was, um, you know, that was the the really only photo we had of that whole first experience. And I didn't see him for nine hours after that. Um, how many I,
1: was he when he was born?
2: He, how, he was two pounds, one ounce, and he was 12 inches. So um, obviously that's like teeny tiny, but at the time I it wasn't until further along in his NICU stay and we're meeting other parents and talking to things that we learned that like that was actually big for a 24-week year. He was 24 weeks, five days. And um, to be even two pounds or above was like actually on the bigger side. Um, but he had a lot of bruising because of his oh and he delivered so feet first feet first delivery through my cerclage that didn't hold it was still like they said it was because I had to then I had to deliver deliver the placenta and it was just they were just like baffled they're like how did how did was he delivered through your cerclage feet first like and it just really obviously um prove that my, I mean, my cervix is just so weak. I mean, it just will not hold um, the weight of a pregnancy at all.
1: Eminently clear right away. Like, okay, I will not be able to get pregnant again. Did anybody say that to you? Like you are not capable. Of-
2: um, Not or- at this point. No, no, no one said that. No one, um, no one really addressed why he was born pretty much. I mean, like we knew because the surclash had failed, but no one really addressed that at all. And I'm trying to think back to like, even my six week follow-up or with my OB or anything Um, at that point, nothing, nothing was said. And I think like, I just went into kind of like a robot, like autopilot mode for the next four months of his NICU stay, because I mean, we were just going to the NICU and home to the NICU. Like it was just like rinse and repeat every day. And the first three weeks of his life were just really scary because he had a lot of um, things that had to be addressed. Like he had a grade three brain, brain bleed. He had pda of his heart which is like all all common things of just being underdeveloped um but you know and all all the normal nicu things happen meaning like he for being um born so early he had to learn to basically suck swallow and breathe and um but we were really lucky after those four after those four months he came home with no oxygen assistance no feeding assistance um he was over nine pounds when he came home and um we just got really lucky because the odds were not in our favor. We were prepared for so many things that ended up like working itself out during his time in the hospital. So of course, when he came home, he had follow-ups for like two years of things like speech therapy and physical therapy to make sure he's hitting his milestones and everything. But um, yeah, he's five and a half. And now, and perfectly healthy i mean he has asthma and um his eyes just recently he got glasses not for his vision but um to strengthen his peripherals which is um common i guess in preemies and underdeveloped but other than that i mean overall he's he's very healthy and we're like shocked that he is every day i look at him i'm like how are you here (laughs) like
1: that's wonderful that that was the outcome
0: yeah
2: um because we, yeah, and we know how lucky we were, because that has not been the, st- I've met, I've been really connected with the NICU and um, the share group at our hospital as well for loss. And um, I've heard a lot of different stories and talked to a lot of women. And um, yeah, it's not, it's not always the case. I mean, 24 weeks is not, not ideal <laughs> for being born. So, yeah. And so after all of that, I think it wasn't until we were home, we did a follow-up with uh, my OB and um, she was the one who recommended, because I asked, and I'm sure she thought I was crazy. Like, why would you be asking about another pregnancy at this point? But for me, it's like, I, I needed some sort of control or ans- answers always feel- make me feel better. You know, like, even if it's not an easy answer, or if it's like, this is what's wrong. I'm like, okay, I can handle that. Cause either oh. then I know to like move on or like fix it. <laughs> um, mm. And so, yeah, she suggested there's a really good doctor. He actually retired in the last year or two, but Dr. Haney in Chicago is really well known for his um, trans abdominal cerclages. So um, it it is a procedure. It's basically like a mini C-section incision, but the idea is that they put the, I think they use a different material than the transvaginal cerclage, but they place it at the top of the cervix. So it holds a lot better. And um, the way he kind of, he's a really awesome doctor of like explaining things and the way he explained it, it's almost like, you know, if you have a water balloon and you, tie the knot, you know, the heavier it gets, the tighter the knot's going to get. So it's kind of yeah. like your pregnancy, like with this kind of circlage, like it will hold, like it's 99% effective in, in for helping incompetent cervix. And people like from around the whole country, like fly in to see this doctor, cause he was like so specialized in it. Um, and after consulting with him, he was like, had no doubt that He he would have said, like, after our twins lost, that it was incompetent cervix. He was like, Yeah, that's your body should have held a pregnancy. The way you delivered and how spontaneous it was, like, that's not that points to your cervix. Um, I think at this point, Hunter was like nine months old, and I decided, Okay, I'm gonna. uh, We, I can't at that point, it was when I realized I can't get pregnant, I can't carry pregnancy on my own without this. That's the only way I could go on to carry pregnancy. And um, so I had the procedure done later that year. This was 2018, I think in November. Um, and that was brutal. I had to go into the city to like a teaching hospital and I should have in hindsight, like stayed the night that like a lot of people just stay in the hotel and everything. But I was like, we live 45 minutes away. I'll just drive home. Oh, it was terrible. I was in so much pain and I was like getting sick and it was, it was a hard recovery. I thought harder than my, than my C-section, but also I think that's because you're distracted with a baby. This was like just me, you know, so you're very focused on the pain, but, um, it was really, I felt confident after having that put in. So At And, you know, we had all these embryos. And so I think when Hunter was one, we were like, okay, let's let's do a frozen embryo transfer.
1: Let's just do it now. I think we were also convinced that we just got lucky the first time before you were even pregnant again. He basically said, cannot conceive again until we do this to stabilize it, then you can go get pregnant.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah. It's something you want to do ahead of time. And it actually stays in. Um, and the only like caveat is that you have to have a C-section and they don't let you go past 38 weeks with this circlosion because they don't want you laboring or 38 weeks. Yeah. They don't want you laboring because it can cause um, uterine rupture. Like you can't, you don't, you definitely don't want it to contract. So I was like, okay, for me, 38 weeks. I mean, I know that's full term. It sounds like a dream to me after having a 24 week so. I'm fine with a C-section, you know, any way I can get a baby safely here is fine with me. Um, so that definitely had to be put in place first. And then um, we did a transfer in March, 2019, and it worked on the first try again. Um, we kind of, yeah, we thought it was going to be a fluke. We were like, oh, we got lucky. Like it it could take a while or we we knew we had untested embryos. So, um, but nope, it, it took on the first try and that pregnancy was great until 23 weeks which I was like of course because you know my new milestone was like 24 and then I was like and then I can take a little breath and I'll be fine but even then not not really because I just knew too much at this point I knew that like lungs aren't even remotely developed until like 32 weeks I just knew all that because I watched it happen you know like outside of me like him hunter growing in the NICU and so I really wasn't comfortable with anything other than full term at that point but um at 23 weeks I started trying to remember how this came up. I think I had some spotting um, and I go in, I mean, after everything I experienced, I just, at any time I go in, my doctors are always like, if you're ever nervous, just come in, come in, come in. And so I went into, and it was a Saturday. So my doctor, my OB was actually at the hospital. So I went there and she was like, are you, or she hooked me up to the belt to see if I was having any contractions. I wasn't really feeling any, and she said I was I was contracting I was in preterm labor and I'm like okay okay um and with my circulation like obviously that's not good so they admitted me and put me on you know magnesium and and all the things same things again to try and stop the contractions um it was touch and go for like 5 days like the contractions keep coming back or they'd get less and then they come back and they ended up realizing that I had um I think it was an ultrasound how they determined this but um, polyhydramnios. So I had like excessive amniotic fluid, which made sense. Cause I was actually measuring like a week ahead. I think I was a little bit bigger than I should be. I just thought like, okay, this is like my third pregnancy. Maybe I just popped and I'm just looking bigger. But, um, and the thing is they didn't have a reason. They didn't know why I had polyhydramnios. It could be random. They said it could be something genetic with the baby, um, which we had already done, um, whatever the genetic test is that you do at like 13 weeks or whatever, and everything there checked out. So yeah, I, um, I ended up being in the hospital for a month on bed rest. Um, I think they were just scared to let me go. And they really wanted to get me to my third trimester because after those initial two weeks, like my contractions stopped, um, you know, they were doing regular ultrasounds, of the baby, everything was fine. Um, so I think the, like the second half of my stay was very precautionary, but I was, fine with that. My husband was having a hard time, of course, because he was home working full time and taking care of our almost one year, one and a half year old at that point. Yeah. So that was a lot on him. And then I was cleared to go home at 28 weeks and I was put on um, like a modified bed rest. So, you know, not bedridden, but just if you're at home, like be on the couch kind of thing. Um, and everything from that point forward was was fine. Um, they did move up my C-section date just because they were nervous about contracting and things like that. So I had a scheduled C-section at 37 weeks and yeah, he, my, my son, Noah, he's three and a half. He was born full-term and healthy. And to me, he looked ginormous when he was, he came out and he was like seven pounds, you know, something (laughs) averaged. Um, and yeah, that was, then it was a very exciting time. And, um, you know, we had two under two and everything was put on pause, obviously for even thinking about any more children. We were just so like happy to have everything that we had. Um, and then COVID hit a few months later and we kind of just we're grateful that like everything actually came to a pause at a time and first time in a very long time that we were not doing any kind of fertility treatments. We had no plans to for me. And I'm the only one who would probably say this, but 2020 was just a very calm, like grateful year because we everything was just slowed down. We were at home with our family and, and it was needed after the years prior.
1: I'm with you. I kind of loved COVID for that reason. And I'm fortunate, like I I have anybody that was severely affected. I didn't lose anybody. in an environment that didn't feel like, oh my God, I can't open my door and go in the hallway for us, be hanging out, having a very simple life.
2: So you're not the only. It was okay. Good. Yeah. It was a good reset, right? Just to like, remember what was most important and kind of slow down. And so, yeah. And, and again, I didn't have anyone severely affected in my inner circle, so I didn't see that side of it, but yeah, it was very, it was a, for us, it was a good year of kind of calming down after all of that. And when you have
1: um, it's like it's so nice to be able to just indulge in them and 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 yeah. their, their whole experience and not be running here and running there and driving here and driving there. Right. It's nice to like oh we're just gonna like paint and draw and look at butterflies. Exactly. And yeah. And they happy. were at such young
2: ages too. They were you know like six months and a year and a half something like that. And so. It was, it was nice to really take it all in because even now I have to remind myself, I mean, at three and five, I feel like we're like all over the place and I'm like, I should just color right now. Like I should just sit (laughs) and color with them instead of like stressing out about all the things that I'm trying to do. Yeah. So that was a very paused year for us. And then in January of 2021, which I think like every January, and this is just probably my type A, but I'm like, all right, what are our goals for this, for this year? What are our family goals? What are our professional goals? All our goals. And, um, we were pretty in over our heads with the two little ones. So I was like, not now, but like maybe the end of the year, we could talk, we should talk about doing an embryo transfer. Um, and we, so that was the plan. I think we were thinking more like October, November. And then in May I, and it had been nine years of not being on birth control, never getting pregnant on my own didn't even remotely think it was possible, but I didn't go back on birth control because I was like, now that I have this cerclage in place, I wasn't afraid to get pregnant. Um, I just, I didn't ever think it would happen. I thought it'll be an amazing miracle if I somehow get pregnant on my own. Um, and then I did, I, in May, I missed my period and took a pregnancy test and got a positive pregnancy test. And I was basically in shock. I was like, this has to be some sick joke because there's no way that I got pregnant on my own. Um, and I was, and that pregnancy went fine. Um, there's always like an until date, but they keep getting, they keep getting further along. So this time um, everything was fine until 20 weeks. And I, this was a Saturday. Um, and I remember we went to like a fall festival or something with my my family, my in-laws and you know, I was kind of feeling like some lower back pain, but nothing too bad. I just thought like, okay, I mean, I'm getting halfway through. I mean, maybe I'm just growing pains or whatever. Um, so I kind of just like took it easy that day. The next day, same thing, nothing got worse during the day, but I was like having these back pains. And then in the afternoon, I started having a little bit of spotting and I was like, oh my God. And at this point I knew, like, I was terrified to call my doctor or to go to the hospital. Cause I was like, I'm not going to come back. Like I'm either going to be put on bed rest or something bad is going to happen because I, I just, so I kind of like prolonged it a little bit. And then I started to get nervous because bedtime rolled around. We put our kids to bed and I was like, I told Josh, I'm like, I think, I think we should go to the hospital. Like I'm not, my gut was like, something is not right. This isn't going away. Um, so, you know, my brother and sister-in-law came over to stay while the boys were sleeping and went to the hospital and, within 30 minutes of being at the hospital, I had full-blown like contractions. And I've never experienced that before. I mean, I had a C-section and then Hunter was born so quickly. I've never really like labored, um, like that. So, um, the doctor, we were waiting and waiting on my doctor because obviously I'm just like in the ER at this point. And by the time she got there, you know, I was bleeding pretty heavily and, you know, she checked the, the ultrasound and there was a heartbeat. Um, we had found out, few weeks prior that we were having a girl. Um, so she was like doing okay in there from what they saw initially, but then everything got more intense. My contractions got more intense. The bleeding got more intense and they had to like, kind of add, they like had to make a call. They're like, are you okay? with Like, we're, we're going to have to take you to the OR Meaning Like, it's just for now, my health is that, I mean, I, all I could think about at this point, it was just so different is because I have like my two kids at home. I was like scared for my safety and my health. Um, and so it really wasn't a thought. It was like a devastating thing to stay, say out loud. I was like, okay, like, I'm, yeah, I'm fine with that. Do what you have to do. Like, cause I'm worried about my own body. And um, right before they were going to take me back to the OR, they checked the ultrasound one more time. And she's like, I just want you to know, she's like, if you had any doubt in your mind, I'm so sorry, but like, there's no heartbeat. And um, there was just so much trauma going on inside my body. And so at that point, it was a horrible thing to hear, but it did kind of like soften it a little bit. I'm just glad that it wasn't, I didn't feel like I had to make that decision. I had to choose like my kids at home or this child here. And, um, so yeah, I had to have a C-section and yeah, she was, my daughter was still born at, she was like 20 weeks in one day or two days. Um, and that was just surreal because they, I just, I feel like a mystery at this point. I'm just like I don't know. I thought we figured it out. Like I don't know what happened. Um and then they after the fact they um tested the placenta. They tested everything. Um she was perfect. Um it was due to placental abruption. Um which made sense the way everything happened literally so abruptly out of nowhere after a healthy pregnancy. Um, and so now there was this kind of this question like, well, was it placental abruption with the twins then? Because it all happened the same way, just much earlier. Um, and truthfully, like they just, they don't know for sure oh. because then we had oh. Hunter who was of course my cervix an issue. So I don't know.
1: Did they tell you about the twins, like what kind of twins they were? Did they have two sacks and two cords and, or were they attached and sharing one placenta?
2: Yeah, there was. They had their own, so it was two. Oh, it was two. I, I can't remember the the exact name, but yeah, it's their own sacks, their own um, cords, and everything. Um, so yeah, and in that case, I don't know if it was. They didn't really say, but you know, due to the one, maybe maybe the one was placenta, placental abruption, but then the other one was just due to all the trauma of delivering and and everything. I, I don't really know. Um, And so, but this was very, when they tested it, they were like, based on what they see and everything, like that was placental abruption. So um, I'm trying to think at this point. Yeah. I mean, we were able to stay in the hospital with, you know, our daughter and get pictures with her and my mom and my sister, you know, held her and everything. Um, But it was at this point after that, that like everything, all the grief, everything I had experienced now, it felt so different. Like all came back and like smacked me in the face because I, I never knew what it was like to, not that the losses are any different, you just have a different perspective, but after having children and now realizing really what I lost and like, I could have seen, seen her, you know, cause I know like my boys and you kind of imagine what she might be like. And before it was just like this idea. And now I'm like, wow, like these three losses just it really like hit me hard um, after
0: that. So do you think that that is when really the grief struck? Like, Do you feel like you felt grief before? Or like, cause I think about a lot of things. Like my first miscarriage, I didn't feel grief. I was in so much shock that I think that's what I felt. And then it wasn't until my third miscarriage that it like, I was like, whoa, that was just a completely different ball game. And so I understand in a way what you're saying that like, at first it's like, you're kind of in shock. You're just like moving through the motions and it's like, Okay. Like making excuses for it or whatever else. And then after my third Mm -hmm. fell and I felt shame, like that's what I felt.
1: I think too. Yes. I would uh, agree with that. When you have a loss, like the first one you were saying, you're not necessarily in retrospect, you're in action. Like, okay, this just happened. Let's find out about it. Let's create, let's, you know, we're in the action phase. Like, what do we do next? We keep going. There's a certain place that you get to though, when like, now you have retrospect. Now you can go, oh man, this, this is a big deal. This is really heavy. Yeah,
2: no, absolutely. I agree with both of you. That is,
1: that's how I felt. I would say the grief stuck me
2: at that point. Um, Because again, like I, I yeah, I was just kind of moving through the motions and you know, the, all the different excuses you tell yourself are like, oh, it was, it was just, this happens to everyone, or it was just not, you know, all the, all the phrases. Um, but no, at that point, it really put things into perspective. And and I really had, to, I couldn't like run from it anymore, but it was also really confusing to deal with grief at this point because I have my mom to two kids. And so t- the time to take for myself and to grieve and yeah. to, you know, I have to be strong for my kids. So, it, cause my, my boys knew I was pregnant. I mean, Noah, my youngest, like didn't really fully understand, but like Hunter knew there was a baby in my belly. I was 20 weeks and I was visibly pregnant. Um, you know, they knew we they were expecting a sister. And so now I'm like, actually really focused on them at first and making sure they're okay. And, you know, we met with a social worker from the hospital and she gave us books on how to kind of talk to them about it and navigate that. And, you know, they were so little, so it, they they bounced back really well. Like they didn't fully grasp it all, um, but they knew they knew of my, our twins before because we had these bears with their names on it. And we're, they always call them like, these are our angel sissies. And so they knew their names, Charlotte and Cecilia, and now they know, that they have Marin, but I was like having a hard time. I was like, I don't want to give them now that it's like really hit me. And I'm like, realizing what is lost. I don't want to give them, I'm like, I don't want them to think that like, they, they just got another bear. And like, now they have this angel sissy. Like, I don't want them to process it. Like that's my sissy. that stuffed animal over there. Like, so we really wow. talked to him about it this time and tried to explain more about pregnancy and just, you know, we're religious. So I kind of went on it from that angle and, and heaven and angels and things like that. But it was, it was, Tricky and um and so even then I think my grief was like a little delayed because I was just having a hard time like with everyone like grieving at this point so Mm -hmm. um I started therapy which was much needed and that helped a lot and um I met back with our MFM doctor who we've just gotten really close with over the years and trust him a lot and I don't even actually know what I was there to for him to say I just. I don't know. When I got there, you know, he said, I saw you on the schedule and you're either here for, if I know you well enough, you're here for one or two reasons. You're here because you want to have another baby. And he's like, or you're here because you like need permission to stop trying to have a baby. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Like what? And then the more we were talking, I was like, oh, I think I am here for that. Like permission, you know, to stop trying because it was such a weight lifted off my shoulders. Like I was, I was sad for myself because he said, I don't feel comfortable with you carrying another pregnancy. Like there's nothing that we can figure out to do differently to have it. He's like, could you have an okay outcome? Maybe he's like, but likely no. And at this point with all the abdominal, you know, I've had two C-sections and the abdominal surgery to put the cerclage in. He's like, you are just at a higher risk for uterine rupture. And I know you have a beautiful family already and your health is, I would not advise you to carry pregnancy. and it's weird. While well, it was hard to hear, he even goes, he's like, you seem okay. Like you seem okay with that. And I was like, I wasn't expecting to feel this way, but it was, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. Like someone else told me like, you can't like, don't like you can't. So, um, I Ryan think I, I talk- it took some,
1: we always talk about it's, it's the potential that is really uncomfortable a lot of times because it's again like well it's it's fifty fifty or like mm-hmm. I could and when somebody just says stop no this isn't okay for you you can just kind of mm-hmm. get off the treadmill <laughs> like like yeah. okay, I don't have to constantly run through maybe I should maybe I shouldn't maybe I should maybe I shouldn't and it's a gift in a way it's hard mm-hmm. it's hard to hear it but when you can get to acceptance it's like oh, this is a different feeling in my body. I don't have to do this anymore.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And a treadmill is a really good analogy because that's what it felt like, right? And when you're so focused on one thing, like your fertility for so long, you just keep thinking, if I try harder, if I do this, like I will win, (laughs) like whatever that means, you know? And um, yeah, it was very freeing for someone to say like, you know what, I I think this is it for you and your body. And I was okay with that. Um, and so that's when we started exploring the idea of a surrogate, which I had actually looked into just generally when I was on bed rest for that month with Noah, because it was such a long month. And I knew that my husband was struggling and I was like, I can't do this to him again. Like I, I also, there's like a lot of guilt surrounding, you know, how everything you're doing is affecting everybody else. And I, you know, thought about it often. and I'm like, man, like if my body would just work, like I wouldn't have to put him through this. And all these hard times that we've experienced in our marriage. Um, so I started looking at it when I, you know, I had a lot of time in that month of bed rest and it felt so unattainable at that point because I didn't know a lot about it. And I was like, Oh, celebrities do surrogacy like, or, you know, it's not for, it's not for me. And it, a quick Google shirts tells you how expensive it is. And I was like, how would we do this? And, you know, um, but it was after that point, you know, we still had six embryos and, um, We worked really hard for those and you know we just didn't want to give up on them yet i think if we didn't have those embryos our story might have looked a little differently on how we chose to expand our family but um because we had them we thought surrogacy was the best route and um the other thing is like when i quick looked up surrogacy like google like what it's all about i realized especially prior like after covid wait times and and the whole process just takes a lot longer so you know we lost our daughter Marin in September, and I think it was in January where I started doing research on surrogacy and agencies and everything, and I realized it's going to take like a lot of the agencies were saying like 18 months to be matched, um, and that's just to be matched, and then obviously you've got the IVF part and pregnancy and everything, and so I'm like, okay, and my husband's five years older, and that's so like we we don't want to be doing this chapter of our life forever. We really want to like do it Mm -hmm. now. Um, so we weren't fully, I don't think I was fully had my mind wrapped around giving up like that. I'm not carrying a baby. Like I didn't think about it as much as I probably should have at that point. I just wanted to get the ball rolling. And it really wasn't until we decided to go with an agency signed May, 2022. And then it was 11, I think it was 11 months later, we got matched with our surrogate. And then the second we got matched, everything started moving quickly. And now here we are in two weeks doing our embryo transfer. And um, it still feels, yeah, it still feels very surreal. But um, yeah, it was, we had to do a lot of, you know, finagling and figuring out how we were going to do this. We are very lucky to have family to lean on um, throughout all of this. And um, you know, because of IVF and our infertility, we've really made choices along the way with our careers and where we live and just kind of everything to always have that on the back burner, knowing that like where we do need finances to have our family, like more so than the average. So we've planned for that and, um, have to stretch things often, but, um, it's important to us. So we've sacrificed what we've needed to, to kind of make that happen. And, And yeah, in like a month, we'll know if we are hopefully expecting or not. We have two, um, in the midst of all that, we had our embryos uh, tested, genetically tested. And out of the six, we ended up losing one in the thaw, which was hard to hear, but also I just had to chuckle because we're always on the wrong side of statistics. I remember they told us it was like 1% chance of losing one in the thaw. And I was like, Oh, sounds about right. So, um, so then we had five and out of the five, um, two were abnormal. One was labeled mosaic, which I didn't know at the time, but if I'm understanding incorrectly, it's kind of like, they don't have enough information one way or the other. That one was like very, I had to like circle back with the embryologist. I'm like, can you explain that to me or the geneticist? I forget who it was, but and then we have two normal embryos. Um, so yeah, we're hoping with one of those, we will be able to add to our family. And yeah, we'll we'll see because it's, it's been a whirlwind. I'm, I'm open to anything at this point, like nothing will surprise me. So
1: well, that's exciting. Congratulations yes. on all of that, that part. You have to jump Thank through. You. A lot of There's a lot of paperwork and a lot of organization. Yeah. Psychological profiling and yes. evaluations and like, wow, how do we even begin to answer these questions?
2: Yeah. And I had no idea all that was involved. I'm so grateful that it is so detailed and such a intense process because it's such a big deal, you know, to test to trust somebody else with, you know, these embryos and um carrying your baby. And so it was quickly that we realized we looked into doing it independently, but, um, it would be a full-time job and a half to try and navigate it all. And it was worth it to us to go with an agency to kind of hold our hand and walk us through everything. And, um, you know, I told my husband, I'm like, I think we've, we've done enough. And now we've got these two kids. I like, I can't have this go. I need all the T's crossed and I's, you know, dotted in this process. And I needed to go as seamless as possible. So our agency has been really great. And, um, they do all that heavy lifting for you. Meaning like they just walk you step-by-step. Step. Like you said, there's psych evals and legal and the financial piece and um, medical workups. There's just so many steps to it. Um, so it was a big deal to finally get now to this embryo transfer day. And she's been on medications for, I think a little over a week ago. So
1: is she, has she had children of her own? I'm always really, yeah. interested. I've worked with a couple of surrogates in the office and it seems like most of them have all said, well, I had my own family. And then I was so, you know, so distraught at the fact that somebody else was struggling so bad that I felt like I'm good at pregnancy. I want to do this for somebody else.
2: Yeah. And, um, I know at least for most of the agencies and I, maybe some fertility, fertility centers too. Um, it, at least for mine, it's a requirement that they have to have at least one child of their own. Um, there's a lot of Specific requirements that they have to meet. Um, There's like an age requirement, BMI. You have to have had at least one successful pregnancy of your own. Um, You even have to make a certain amount of money, like, because they want they don't want people doing it for, you know, the money you have to be able stable in your own home. Uh, There's, it's a, there's a long list that they had to meet, which was the other reason, you know, trying to find a surrogate on your own is like, I don't know, to me, they feel like unicorns, like people who are awesome at pregnancy, love it, are willing to do this for somebody else and then meet all the even more strict criteria that these agencies and um, fertility clinics have, you know, outside of if they wanted to get pregnant on their own, they probably could. But if you're, you know, 39 and you're, or you're 25, like there, I forget what the age is, but it's so specific specific and um so our surrogate she has two kids of her own I think she's 27. Um and this is actually her second surrogacy journey so she's worked with the agency we're with before and had a successful birth last November. So she absolutely adored being able to help another family and love the experience. And so she decided to do it again, which has been nice because she knows what she's doing and I don't. So it's (laughs) she's so sensitive of our feelings and she's so great at like keeping us in the loop with everything. Even when there's not much, like the last month, it's just been like not a whole lot going on yet. Um, but it's, it's nice. We text and she'll be, um, here in Chicago with us for the transfer at the end of the month.
0: I was going to ask if she was like around you or how that works logistically. Cause obviously you could match with anyone in the country. Right. Right. So like, how does that work? You ship embryos to them or do they come to you? Like, that seems so crazy. Yeah, that's
2: a good question. I did not, I didn't know either at the time. Um, we initially really wanted somebody local. Obviously I had this like whole fantasy of like being really close to this person, being able to see the pregnancy firsthand. But then on the other hand, I thought maybe maybe I don't want somebody nearby because I don't know how I'm, I don't know if I can handle like seeing them pregnant all the time. And it's just so weird. Um, it's like, I'm so grateful, but I'm also still processing that, like it's not me doing this. So um We originally said we would love to be matched with someone, you know, local to us in Illinois, but then we quickly realized like the chances of that were like so slim. I mean, the agency was there already, like, don't have enough surrogates at at this point because coming off of COVID, a lot of people changed their mind and so many people paused their family planning and family building that, like, it's almost like a just so many intended parents, like, hoping um, to find a surrogate. So we decided that we were open to anyone in the continental us. Like we, my husband travels all the time for work. We will, we have family to help us with the boys. We will make it work. Um, but how that works is, um, she came here, uh, local to us for our fertility clinic for her initial medical workup, medical clearance. Um, and we got to meet her then for the first time. And then she'll be here for the embryo transfer at our fertility clinic. And then, um, everything else happens. She's actually outside of Dallas. So everything else happens in Dallas. She has a fertility clinic there. She'll deliver there. So um, we're still kind of like figuring out what the, re- like the pregnancy will look like for us. We know we will be there for like the 20 week ultrasound and of course delivery. But um, if there's any other ultrasounds, we would love to hop on a flight and be there, even if it's like minimal, just to be a part of it all. So um, the only thing I I don't really know how this works yet is like for delivery, um. You know, we'll probably end up being in Texas for a couple weeks, yeah, because you can't I don't think you can even fly with a baby until they're at least two weeks. And that's if we want to. I mean, we could drive, I think it's like a thirteen hour drive for us. Um, so yeah, we haven't we got to figure that out. Her last couple was from Maryland, and they um stayed local in Texas for two weeks. and she actually ended up um, pumping milk for them during that time. Um, and then they left after that. So that's kind of up in the air. I don't really know what that'll look like, but
0: yeah. But yeah, That is so crazy and really exciting. And I just think it's amazing. I don't know. I think about different ways. There's so many ways that you can build your family now and really mm-hmm. all are beautiful. Like, right. I just don't think there is a wrong way to do it at this point. Like, right. Agreed.
1: how do you talk to your sons about this? How do we that's talk shit. about, the baby that's coming that they don't get to see develop in you.
2: Yeah, that is a work in progress as well. Um, so we have, uh, we haven't said anything yet to them regarding our own specific journey, but we did start talking about the idea that other women can carry babies for everyone else. Like they know that. And when I say that, I say mostly my five-year-old, I don't really know what my three-year-old's grasping yet, but my five-year-old definitely understands because, you know, kids are funny. They'll, I don't think he's listening, you know, or he's processing what I'm saying. And then he'll just like drop random knowledge at the grocery store to a stranger. <laughs> like, cause I forget who he was talking to. And he was like, oh yeah, it's not safe for my mom to carry a baby, but another lady can do it. That's fine. And then my three-year-old, this is how much he grasped. He's like, well, grandma has a belly. She can carry the baby. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, okay. So they know that, um, it's not, they don't know details. They know it's not safe for mommy to carry a baby but other women can carry babies for us. Um, but we are still trying to figure out when we're going to kind of like, is it when we get a positive pregnancy test that we explain to our kids that like, and show them a picture, like, this is who's carrying like a baby for us, or do we wait until certain milestones, but we've always been really open with our kids and our losses anyway. So we're still trying to decide at what point we're going to start to really introduce that. Um, but there's actually a really good book. I interviewed someone on my podcast and it's, the book is called from the start and it's a children's book. And it's so great at like explaining all the different ways families are made, whether it's through IVF or adoption or surrogacy, or if you have two moms or two dads, like it goes into all the different way, beautiful ways that families are made. And so I read it once to them, I don't think it landed or like they were just like, "Okay, that was cool." Like they didn't really like think much of it, but I think with some context it'll be a good tool to have for them for sure.
1: <laughs> funny. So with your embryos, how did you decide which one to transfer? Are we going after the girl first?
2: How did Yeah, we- so we we ended up um we only we only wanted to find know the gender, the sex of the two normal embryos, and they both happen to be female. So um, yeah, so we're transferring a, a girl. Yeah. And they're both graded the same. So whatever one, one of those.
0: Is That's amazing. That's pretty. Yeah. I don't know. This is all just really beautiful. And I'm just so happy for you because this has been a, I can't imagine the road that you've been on. And so I don't know, this is just wonderful. Um. So how did that leave you to motherhood intended? Yeah. So, um, I think a lot of it was the
2: grief I talked about following Marin. I, you know, it all hit me like a ton of bricks and I was, I was trying to process it all. And, you know, I, I really just needed something to do. I've been home at this point. I think it was, uh, I dabbled in part-time work. When Hunter turned one, I decided I was going to stay home with him because he had a lot of, he just required a lot at, when he was at a lot of different therapy appointments and everything. And I was having a hard time keeping up with my, my career and and him. And I also wasn't willing to put him in care. We had like a part, very part-time nanny, but I was just so excited that he was here that I just, it was not my initial plan to be a stay at home mom, but it made the most sense. And um, I'm glad I did, but I, I'm always all over the place. So I got a little antsy. And so six months later, got a part-time job. And I did that for like a while, then COVID hit. And then I went back to work again for part-time for like six months. But I think it's been like a year, year and a half now. I've been home full-time. And it was during that time after Mir And I was like, I just, I need something to occupy my brain. Like I need to feel, it was also the first time, like I said, that I wasn't pursuing any kind of, you know, fertility treatments or trying to get pregnant or anything. And so once I kind of like, knew that surrogacy might be the path that we go. And then my body is definitely not going to be carrying a pregnancy. I was like, it's almost like I needed a new project. Not that like getting pregnant was like a project, but it felt like, like a career because it was so involved. So, um, you know, I actually, I went to college for broadcasting and video production. I've always really liked it. Um, I was a big, I listened to podcasts for years before people even knew what podcasts were. I was like that nerd listening to podcasts and, um, So I decided, I set out to create motherhood intended really to just like share everyone's stories, like have regular, you know, women on and sharing their experience with infertility and motherhood, anything that goes beyond like the highlight reels that we scroll, which I I will say, and maybe it's just the circles that I'm in on social, but like, I feel like it's getting better more and more people are sharing miscarriages. They're sharing their struggles with infertility. Um, But back in 2016, when I first experienced that, it just wasn't the case. Um, and so I just really wanted a space where people could start sharing that. So no one felt alone. Um, and then it's kind of, yeah, so I launched in January of this year and, um, recently launched season two and it's kind of just evolving as it goes on. I'm not sharing as many personal stories as I am. I've been really liking, um, interviewing people in the field of family building and, um, mental health and fertility, um, you know, it's kind of, it's aligning too with my own journey. I've been really interested in, you know, anyone who can talk on surrogacy, um, gestational carriers, things like that. So it's been a really fun project and it's, I set out to help other people not feel alone and kind of navigate these different experiences, but really it's kind of become my therapy. Like I have absolutely found healing in this process of podcasting and, um, it's helped me get through this past year a lot just by talking to other people and, you know, also realizing how grateful I am for what I have and the journey that we're able to go on. And um, it's just been a lot of fun. It gives me purpose. And, it, you know, after everything, just like you're doing, you know, everything I've experienced, I feel like I almost like owe it to the women in the world to like share what I've been through and like educate however I can, because it's just been such a big part of my life, like the last decade. So feels good to kind of pay it forward.
0: I definitely understand that. I think that's how I feel about the fertility resort too. It's been my own version of healing. Like I didn't yeah. know that I needed to do this in order to feel better about that. Like mm-hmm. I just would have never put that together and I don't know if it's because I could redirect my energy um into something else that I felt like would hopefully help other people or what. Yeah. But I totally believe that. And it was and it's one of those things too is that I wasn't ready to do it until I was ready to do it. Like, right. Wasn't ready to do it a year ago. I think I was still swimming pretty hard in the grief storm. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know one day it was just like, okay, I'm ready to do this. I don't know. It's
2: yeah. It's really- no, I, I had that point too, where I was like, okay. Cause my husband and I actually talked back in like 2015 about starting a podcast just to, for our own, like, I knew nothing about, how big podcasts could be or like to marketing it or anything like that. I was just more so like us to document our own journey through infertility, but I just was not ready for how hectic and heavy life was going to get. And we never did it. But like years ago we were like, wouldn't that be fun to have podcasts? And so, yeah, it it just, it happened at a time when it felt right. And I was, there was no like question in my mind. I was like, all right, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing it now. So,
0: yeah. For sure. I mean, it's all about, there's something about timing that really the universe just like gifts you things when you need it. Right. Like yeah. I yeah. do think there is a synchronicity in this world and that things happen when they should is fucking horrible as that is to say. Like, <laughs> not, but I, I agree. I do agree. I don't not think that things happen for a reason that don't confuse that, but I do mm-hmm. think that yeah. there is a level of synchronicity in the world and mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think in healthcare too, anyone, most people that get into advocacy, it's because they've either gone through a harrowing health experience and now they're on the other side or they've learned how to live with it or wherever they are, that they feel like, wow, this was really challenging. And what can I do for anybody else who finds themselves here? That's a common thing. Or you're like me, you're somebody who works with those people and then goes, oh my gosh, like... Just working in a one-on-one relationship with people behind closed doors, it only gets you so far. How do you get to a larger mass of people to try to help on a grand scale? Because one on one -one is beautiful, but it's also so limiting. It's so like, oh my God, there's like ten more ten thousand more people in the hallway waiting to have this conversation. How do we talk?
2: Yeah. It's yeah. The podcast world is, it's amazing how many people you can reach. And I love the idea of the protected space podcast. This is just, this is awesome. And um, it it fits so perfectly with the fertility resort and everything that you're doing. It's just like this extension that was just makes so much sense. So I'm really glad that you guys are doing this.
1: Well, thank you. We're excited too. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Like you said, like, Oh, how, how do I do this? And what does this look like? Right. of those things but we just yeah. felt in her experience and in my experience and pretty much anyone you talk to they uncover something that they never thought they would deal with encounter have to figure out have to answer and so IVF or fertility stuff is just kind of the top you know it's it's the super oh, yeah. layer. what's underneath it is the part where you're like what how does that yeah. How did you even find out about that what does that mean where did you go like there's more questions than answers for sure it's a lot it's a lot but it's it's awesome it's a lot <laughs> and I'm sure you are too. we've been so lucky that everyone's been really willing to um kind of go into the dark corners and go like well this is what happened and be very honest and expressive and I think that's it's shocking how well people can deal with trauma you know it is. Yeah.
2: I have been very surprised about all of the women who have been willing to come forward and share like their different stories. Um, you know, I focused when I first started the podcasts, I was interviewing a lot of people I met through the share program at our, at our hospital. So they had all dealt with some sort of loss and, um, the people that opened up, it was, it's amazing. and I think that's what's cool about podcasting is it's, it's so personal and it feels like a safe space. It's not like you're trying to curate something specific for Instagram for the world to see. It's like, it's just true feelings. It's like, you're talking with someone and even as a listener, like that's how I got so into um, the beat infertility podcast, hearing about other people's stuff. I felt like I was, you know, hearing a friend's story, like, and what they're going through. And I really liked like would take notes. I'm like, Oh my gosh, could this be it? I'm going to ask my doctor about this. Like I'm sure my doctor at this point was like, you should probably stop listening to this podcast because you are asking me a lot of questions, but um I mean, I'm glad I did it. It led me to so many people like that helped me in my journey by listening to everyone else's stories. So it's pretty I cool that that
1: women Instagram will share yeah, is based on appearances. Like it's made to be superficial, yeah, like really, yeah. A, a photo, an image. you know, that's where it came from at least. And podcasting right. this is like old school radio, you know, like you're yeah, kind of reading, it's like reading a book. You're kind of creating as you're listening to the people. It's a much more immersive, sensory experience than just like changes right. all day. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It-
1: and you're not making assumptions or your own like
2: opinions so much, you know, because you're just hearing like true thoughts and feelings.
0: Well, um, um we have taken up so much of your time and
1: no,
2: I, I have taken up so much of yours. Thank you. I'm like, I'm like looking at the clock. I'm like per usual. I'm like Story is a doozy and I, I one day will condense it down to like 40 minutes, but I just get to chatting and I'm like, but so thank you for allowing me to do that. Cause I promise you every time it like comes out, it's
0: like a more weight lifted off my shoulders when I'm given the opportunity to share. So thank you. Well, and I love that. And I also think that every facet of your story is important to the story. Like, I don't think you should pare it down because it's all important, right? And when you leave out the details, then you leave out the big stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Well,
2: thank you. Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell it, I guess, with, without all of that, because there's just so many different things that led to this and that led to this. And so it's kind of a chain reaction. So for
0: sure. Well, we're very thankful that you shared that with us today. And I don't know, I'm just so excited to see where motherhood intended goes, you know, in the future and, you know, we're obviously, so thank you. Yeah. Stay tuned. (laughs)
1: Yep, yep. absolutely
0: we'll be watching listening yes. <laughs> awesome we'll have a great day Jacqueline and you know thanks you guys too the protected space podcast is hosted by Erin Attaway and Bryant Liggett and is brought to you by the fertility resort to learn more about us head over to thefertilityresort.com and give us a follow on all social platforms at protected space pod